Welcome to the Great Base Tennis Podcast. I'm Andy Fitzell alongside Steve Smith. Episode three this week, where we are talking about tennis math. Numbers. Numbers. This is going to be a fun one. We've, we've got a lot of notes here. We're going to run through a lot of information. I think our listeners at home will get a lot of value. But first, let's talk about the, the structure of this episode, really, with the five S's. Five S's, self-management, strokes, strategy, statistics, and score. Yes. So let's talk about S number one, self-management. And under that, we've got the first thing, practice log. Practice log, program, program plus. I always tell kids there's no program that develops tennis players. It's always what you do on your own, the extra. But you have to write it down. Mm-hmm. You know, have to have a notebook. Uh, the next thing with a notebook, uh, we tell people at practice, have a notebook you set on your chair. And when you go home, you have a journal. So you take your notes, take a little quiet time, sit down. At least three things. Date the paper, write down at least three things that you've listened to and learned. Maybe it's even something that's just being re- reinforced. Um, but yeah, you have to have a practice log. Yeah, it's great. Put it in your tennis bag, keep it with you. Yeah, no, but again, I think the... The notebook to practice, you know, we have people, okay, here's your chair, just like doing basketball practice. Put your notebook right on your chair. You get a water break, sit down. Coach is talking to you. Not very typical of a junior development program. Yeah. Yeah, not too typical, but needs to be done. All right, the next thing I've got here, routines and reps. Routines and reps. Um, Again, that comes back to what you do off the court. You know, you tell 100 kids to shadow swing, you know, maybe 3% will do it. Um, There's a song based on the Green Beret, 100 tested, you know, three pass. Um, The routines, repetition, repetition is mother of skill, mental reps as well. You know, just sit on a chair, visualize. Um, Your taught routines, are you do, do you do them? I mean, one thing that's such a disaster right now is screen time, how much time kids are on their phone. Yeah. You know, breakfast, they're not talking to the kids sitting next to them. They're looking at their phone. Same thing, dinner table. Adults too. Yeah. I'm guilty of it. If you're an adult, that's good. (laughs) Next one, uh, one of my personal favorites, reason why my calf muscles are so big, skip rope routine. We tell kids to skip rope at a minimum three, three rounds. It's three minutes around, one minute off. So it's four minutes comes from Jack Kramer, actually comes from boxing first, but Jack Kramer used to say that he could play with anybody. You know, he would skip rope hard for uh, 15 rounds, so and do abs in between. Yeah. You told me today that you talked to uh, David Squire. He sent me a young player just when he was eight years old. He's an American who grew up in Zurich. Henry, I think it's von Schnellenberger. Just worked with him a couple of times. Von Schnellenberger. When he came to work with us, he's eight years old. He could do 80 double jumps. And, you know, I saw him play at the US Open. Uh, He's just a freshman at Harvard. So it was just a year ago and tree trunks for legs. Yeah. (laughs) So get the rope out. You're not a tennis player if you can't skip rope. And listen to Rocky while you're at it. All right, the next thing on the list, self-management, is shadow swinging. Yeah, I mentioned that. Um, it comes, that also comes from boxing. I was telling some players today, uh, not so much the Russian boys, but the Russian girls. I was always surprised to be in Moscow and 
girl comes out before her lesson, she goes in the corner and just, you know, she's just moving and, you know, she's already dripping in sweat before the lesson starts. Um, yeah. Too cool for school. You, you know, baseball players get in the on-deck circle, shadow swing, golfer shadow swing, and you think of a, ba- a basketball player at the free throw line. But yeah, you just, and again, we tell people in front of the mirror and that comes back to the practice log, you're either a hero or a zero every yeah. day. You know, a mirror is an out-of-body experience. Get in front of the mirror. Every day. Yeah. You hear that, kids? Every day. 3% college tennis. Yeah. Um, less than 3% of juniors will play college tennis. Um, it's not a scare tactic, but what's even more of a slap across the head is, and these are stats that just change slightly from year to year, over 85% of kids who don't make the college lineup as a freshman don't make it, period. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about some uh, young kid who's playing last year 14s, if you turn the clock ahead, you have um, five years to play four in college tennis. So basically you take two years in the 18s, two years in the 16s, and the first year, the last year in the 14s. So, you know, based on um, just uh, growth, that you know, if, you know, you don't, you don't have 14-year-olds playing 18-year-olds, but as soon as... It, they shift ahead a few years and they're in college. So you can be an 18 year old playing against a 23 year old. Yeah. Yep. All right. hundred plus week. Uh, this is before uh, homeschooling became so popular, but we ran a program called hundred plus. It was um, optional. You couldn't, didn't have to, academics took priority. You didn't have to come all hundred hours, but we offered a hundred hours and that's um, f- three hours after school, Monday through Friday, that's 15. Mm-hmm seven hours on Saturday. Um, and then again, optional, but Sunday, three hours. So 10 hours on the weekend, three hours Sunday afternoon. Uh, what we used to do is log how many hours people would come and then we would give them a sweatshirt, a hoodie, and it said right over the heart, go. And then on the sleeve, we would have um, the number of hours. And before you know, kids really started doubling up with homeschooling, um, most of the kids were really close to 1,000. You know, 973, that type of thing. Yeah. But again, that circles back to um, bank hours. You know, it's an investment of your time. So how much time are you putting in? It's got to be really a matter of putting in effort, but measured in time. Yeah. Good quality hours. Mm-hmm. Roger Federer, my man, 24 hours. Yeah, that's that's something that tennis parents really need to understand. Kids taking a day off, they stop practice at three o'clock on Saturday and they don't start they play again at three o'clock on Monday. That's 48 hours off. Mm-hmm. They just think of it as one day. Yeah. If you stop at three o'clock on Saturday, and if you tell kids that, hey, you get 24 hours off, mm-hmm. you know, and so, hey, you go out they, on Saturday night, you go out to a movie or whatever and say, okay, we'll see you. You know, then certainly that allows kids to have their personal time with their family on Sunday, but it's 24 hours off. Yeah. And you have to measure it. You know, it's not, oh, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take the day off. And I, you know, it's, Told many coaches said, "Yeah, you told me you had a day off, but that was fifty-two hours ago." <laughs> exactly. Ten thousand hour rule. Professor Erickson, the Swede, who's at Florida State. You know, you produce myelin. The brain produces a chemical myelin that helps with speed and smoothness of movement, and that's why you got to be switched on. You're programming your brain. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell made it really popular in the book uh, Outliers. But really with 10,000 hours, if you think about 
with a really great player is the ones you're watching on TV. It's more like 20,000 hours. Yeah. And I really like that about pilots. Pilots, you have pilots talk to each other. One of the questions they first ask each other is, you know, how many hours do you have? Yeah. I first learned about Mylan with uh, Daniel Coyle's book, The Talent Code, which I just, you know, we have this uh, giant lawn here at our place. And so while I was mowing the lawn for seven hours, I listened to The Talent Code again. And uh, it was just great to bring up all, all of his you know, information on myelin and how to produce myelin and good myelin versus bad myelin. And, and uh, I actually, a few years back, I got to talk to Daniel Coyle on the phone because his parents actually were big fans of Vic Braden. They used to go to the Vic Braden Tennis College. And so I got a connection through that and, and had a conversation about education with him. It was fun. Anyway, well, you know, Daniel Coyle, great book. Also, his, his uh, other tennis book, The Little Book of Talent, we tell mm-hmm. kids it's a must you have to have in your shoulder bag and there's 52 chapters and, yeah. and you know, water break, Hey, you know, organization, pull out your book and they look at you like, uh, duh. <laughs> and you know, what's great about volunteers is if you're at volunteers and you're stationed on such and such courts and you know, you're supposed to have your bands or your skip rope, whatever you're supposed to have. And if you don't have it, everybody in your group has to run around the IMG yeah, facility. I love that which is like four miles now. It gets bigger every year. And then the coaches you to get on a bicycle or golf cart, make sure you don't cheat. And also too, if you don't get back, cheat on the run, cut the corners. And if you don't get back in a certain time, tennis math, you don't get back in a certain time, you got to run again. Yep. You know, someone said at one time, voluntary is the toughest playground in tennis. You look to your left, you look to your right, and there's just people who can beat you. Yeah. That's why hopefully it should be. Stopwatch. The great Bruce Dern, the actor who actually once in a movie killed John Wayne. He's a runner. He is a runner. And you can't BS a stopwatch. You, you know, um, you have, if you have a small staff, someone has to be wearing a stopwatch around their neck. Because now with the telephone and everybody, yeah. every kid's got a stopwatch. But, you know, same, same thing with the measuring tape. You know, you get kids on the baseline, say, let's do the frog jump. How many frogs does it take, jumps does it take you to get to the net? Anything that can be measured can be improved. But, you know, when it comes down to uh, George Allen, the late George Allen, he coached uh, pro football. And he was always asking people, even before they asked him their name, how many push-ups can you do? How many sit-ups can you do? Mm-hmm. Which, when I was a kid, everybody knew. I mean, before a coach asked you your name, he asked you your mile time. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and it's... Okay, let's do the four hundred. Let's do a four, the forty. Let's do the hundred. Let's do the four hundred. Let's do eight hundred. You know, let's run. You know, um, if you don't like to run, take up golf. Yeah, you can't BS a stopwatch. You can't brilliant stuff. BS a stopwatch. Speaking of uh, stopwatches, personal bests. Yeah, to measure it. You know, if you tennis kids, junior tennis players don't realize that junior tennis is. You know, many times not really preparing them for college tennis. It's like it's two different animals. But you go to a Division One campus, it's like an Olympic village, and you go in their training center, the weight room, and you can see they have the personal best. Mm-hmm. And it, it can be, you know, from weightlifting to running. Uh, but a kid should know their personal best and it, at least once a week. Like we run the beep test. Yeah. And you say, okay, what's your personal best? And, you know, maybe it's really windy, it's cold, you know, maybe they don't feel well. So they're not going to always run their personal best, but then with their heart rate uh, to monitor how hard they're working. Yeah. So again, it's all tennis math numbers, the heart rate. 
you know, your recovery rate, your heart rate at rest. Jim Lair used to have uh, apparatus where, you know, a kid would go in the locker room, take their top off and put the strap around it on his, his wristwatch. I, and he would do this when he would speak. He'd have somebody in the audience come down. You'd calm down. They for, they would forget that the apparatus was on. And then just as they get out of the chair and walk down to speak, the heart rate just goes way up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, it's, you know, that's where then, you know, why do you have kids uh, sing a song, tell a joke, tell a story? <laughs> yeah. Why do you yeah. have kids get in front of people? Because so many kids have stage fright. And you can measure that many ways, but you can measure it through their heart rate. Yeah. Are you ready to get an Apple Watch? Apple Watch. I have a Samsung, which for some of the people who are teaching right now, the, um, I have a it works for Apple watch. and they're not too happy about it, but I like my Samsung. All right. Inclement weather. John Newcomb used to say, that's your day off. Uh, Bill Aris, people should read his book, The Amazing Runners. Hmm. I've read his book twice. It's a cost country team in central New York. You know, I spent a lot of time in that area, upstate New York. It's a great day when it's raining, as long as there's no thunder and lightning. Mm-hmm. You know, Stevie Nash, the basketball player, grew up in Vancouver. He was a soccer player, like his brother, uh, who they say was even a better athlete. But Stevie Nash, he took up basketball late. It rains a lot in Vancouver, and he um, would shoot balls in the rain. You can't play in the rain because it's so slippery, but... Yeah. Uh, it's just amazing how, um, you know, his cross country team, if you get online and, or there's even photos in his book where just like football practice, he has kids running in place and they just flop and hit their chest on the ground, get back up and they get muddy, they get dirty. Yeah. Talk about Stevie Nash and also, um, his visualization that what, what he used to do. Yeah. He played 30 minutes of basketball. It's math. He played 30 minutes of basketball every day. Uh, when he rode the bike, uh, Miron Mann uh, told me this, a kid, a fellow Canadian, um, Stevie Nash is a Canuckin, mm-hmm. that uh, he'd get on the bus, and when the bus would go out to the airport, the team's going to fly away for a away game, close his eyes, be playing basketball. Yeah. Visualization is so powerful. Again, time, I, you know, to have a young player, even if it's just five minutes, go sit in a room, close their eyes. Years ago in the 70s, Billie Jean King was big on this. He said, just put a tennis ball on the court. You have to sit, everybody make a circle around the court and just stare at the ball. <laughs> um, but yeah, self-management, you know, will people do these things? Will people keep notes, have a, have, have a skip rope, that type of thing? Do you have a mirror, do the routines, driveway workout? Yep. You go to an international tournament and you see kids uh, practicing in the parking lot. I don't want to sound doom and gloom and... Uh, beating up America, I'm very proud to be American, but most likely it's not an American kid practicing in the parking lot. Yeah, no, not too often. I remember a few years back, actually, uh, when we did the group in Germany where we took the trains everywhere and uh, I had the kids on the train track, you know, doing eight to be great, so tossing and hitting volleys and shadow swimming. It was kind of fun. Took you, a picture of that. Kid, you always have a kid uh, say the train leaves at eight, <laughs> be under it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I didn't mean that. I was just teasing. <laughs> Um, I've got also here, Spanish method, 50% tennis, 50% fitness. Yeah. Three times I've been through the Spanish program and that's it. That's a great formula. Um, 50% tennis, 50% fitness. So one thing about American tennis, many times when a young player goes to a tennis club, even a, a, a park, they're only around courts, uh, a little better at a park where you can look to your left, look to your right and you see soccer fields and baseball diamonds and such. But, um, 
Yeah, what's next? Tennis, math, practice, practice, practice. Yeah, I mean, the last thing I have here is just the hourglass time. Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, uh, even wealthy people, you would call your parents collect, and they wouldn't accept. <laughs> and people would have the, the little uh, hourglass, and it was just three minutes, because Bell Telephone, which is, had a monopoly on telephones, is if the fees went way up after after three minutes. But so let me say that again. You'd call collect. They would not they would not accept. Mm-hmm. And then, but the operator would give the number to the people you were calling. So they would, your parents would call you back. So you're going to say, hey, I could be on the bus. So I'll be there on Thursday. Mm-hmm. But they would talk to you for just three minutes. And I think of that because it is so, so bad. Let me say that again. So, so bad. <laughs> when parents are, you know, because we have kids come and stay with us. And we travel so much with kids, but you know, parents are calling their kids up and asking them, you know, what are you putting? What are you putting on your roast beef sandwich? Sandwich? Are you yeah. putting mustard? Yeah. Are you putting ketchup? It's like, come on, really, mom, <laughs> back off a little bit, <laughs> chill out a little. Screen time. There's a negative on on, um, on the tennis math. Is at the end of the day, everybody in the world has 24 hours a day, and what do you do with your time? And you know, people need to re- take a break. But I always say that. YouTube clips are like potato chips. You can't just have one. There's yeah. a sidebar. And, you know, Wayne Bryan in his book, uh, Raising Champions, it's a thief of time. It's a dream killer. Yeah. Cell phones are cell phones are the enemy. I mean, you know, uh, Coach K with Duke basketball, uh, kids are um, stronger now than they were years ago, but they're not as coordinated. Of course, they're not playing multiple sports. Um, it's almost like kids really don't play outside. At one point I had a gentleman who was amazing. He was told I trained tennis teachers. He had taught PE for 37 years. He's just about to retire and he wanted to work with me. And he, he was going to teach tennis one more time before he retired. He said, I could never get people to play tennis very well. I've learned more from him than he did from me. But what he said, which is so true in the U S now Christmas gifts, they're all tech toys. Yeah. And if you, I mean, if you, you give even athletic kids many times, um, I remember, you know, my two boys one time, I gave them a football and uh, American football, we're kind of throwing <laughs> motion. It was like the next Christmas is, is, you know, just wrap up the football and give it to them again because they didn't use it. <laughs> Still um, new. But, you know, it's almost like you drive through neighborhoods now and, you know, people don't play outside. It's they're inside playing, playing on the phone. Yeah. No, I was lucky to grow up in an area where there was a lot of outdoor activity. I was lucky that way. We were always outside. So with self-management, we'll move on to strokes, but basically you got to match your actions and your goals, right? I mean, it's character. Yeah. You know, people come to see us for information on what we'll talk about next is strokes. I always tell people, if you can't teach character, you can't teach strokes. Yeah. Um, Again, hungry dog hunts best. You know, we tell kids get up in the morning, make your bed, you know, and then chart Do you make your bed. Your mother, if the mother has time, the dad has time, big brother, or someone just, you know, if you're staying in a place like this, you know, you're staying with some tennis players, did you make your bed? Yep. Accountability. You know, seven days a week. Yep. Um, you know, did we tell people, I learned this from an NFL football player, when you get up in the morning before you go to the bathroom, you know, his thing was 50 50, 50 push ups, 50 sit ups. I just tell the kids, why don't you do 10 push ups, 10 sit ups, and 10 squat thrusts first thing in the morning? Yeah. And can you imagine if, if someone did the skip rope routine yeah. just 12 minutes a day? We have a 42 second drill. Yep. And it just, it just asked people, okay, did you, did you rewrite your notes? And they just go, 
Talk about making people feel bad. You just came out asking questions. <laughs> no, no, no. I can do this exercise if some kids have come and say they've come and spent three weeks with me. And I said, all right, I'm going to have a telephone conversation. I'll tell your tell your parents. I said, why don't you wait another three weeks when they get home and call me after three weeks and just da 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 like a machine gun is I can ask 50 questions and all the answers are no. No, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we make a videotape for people, a, a narrated slow motion analysis. That's math. We told you to watch it three times. Yep. We told you to send us notes, 70 central strokes, three at least three bullet points. What did we tell you about the grip, swing, and body? And that's, that's something that can be measured. Yep. And it's, 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 I don't even want to mention how few people who travel a long ways to have a video made and they don't do the, they don't they'll go through the process of, of yeah. taking the notes. No, it's amazing. So keep your journal and keep track. You say you want to be number one. Well, you got to do everything you got to do to, to get there. Yeah, that's another thing. When they write down that you want to be number one, it's like, or they want to play college tennis. Uh, I like the goals. Hey, I just want to, just want to improve. I want to be the best I can be. I want to reach my max. Yeah. But, when, you know, <laughs> tennis players don't get what they, um, ex- they don't get what they expect. They get what they deserve. Yeah. You'll, you'll get out what you put in. The same thing that parents- you put you been, so. Same thing parents have been telling their kids for generations. You'll get out what you put in. Exactly. All right, moving on. So strokes. First thing I have here is true analytics. Yeah. Warren Pretorius, he was here, a friend of ours, and the visit, and I was telling him, the really true analytics you don't hear much about. Yeah. It's kind of like the space age toy um, or the national campus. What do they have? What's it called? So the, uh, the play smart, smart play site, play site, play site. <laughs> so you play smart. Yeah. But grip swing and body, you know, so, but the true analytics, I mean, you, t- you turn the racket eight times, the racket's an octagon goes 360 degrees. You divide 360 by eight. Every time you change your hand by one degree, it's 45 degrees. Yep. Um, how, you know, there's so much math. Does the racket go below the ball and the angle of the racket face being closed? It does how far away does the racket go from your body? Um, is where's the racket face at the impact point? So many things. Yeah. I've got those, uh, the grip swing body, those three components. And then on the serve, we add the fourth component, the toss. Yeah. It's a good riddle. You ask kids, um, ask anybody, adults. What's more important? Take the survey. What's more important? The, the swing of the toss. Yeah. Almost everyone says the toss, but yeah. the riddle is, does the racket find the toss or the toss find the racket? You need to program your swing. That's where the great late Bobby Riggs, he would play people and say, I'll be blindfolded. And what you would do is wear the blindfold when you're serving. You should be able to serve with your eyes closed. Uh, almost everybody. I mean, there's three dimensions to the toss. Almost everybody. I'm talking junior tennis, toss too high. They toss, if they're right in, they toss too far to the left and they toss too far back. Yep. And then and then just the math that unfolds with that as far as how fast does the racket go? You know, where's the position of their elbow based on the toss, the, you know, the deceleration, acceleration? Exactly. Well, tell me about the uh, server's head shifting, the math behind that. Well, ball's on the string three to six milliseconds. It takes about 70 milliseconds to register the hit. So by the time you register the hit, the ball is seven to 11 feet away from you. So it's really aftershock, it's not feel. Yeah. So the brain goes, the brain goes first, the eyes go second, the head shifts, inch the head's the heaviest part of your body. So then when the head goes, the whole body goes. And the brain's very sophisticated. The, the, program, the, the brain's got to recalculate and swing slower. 
But that's where you watch someone like Federer. He's at the baseline and the surface line is 18 feet away. Mm -hmm. And I know we're going to get into the court. Yeah. So if it's seven to 11 feet and you know, especially you know where you're aiming to serve, you don't have to shift your head. I mean, some kids, I mean, I'm just constantly going, kids, we're going to get you a neck brace. You got whiplash. It's going to be like you're in a bad car accident. Yeah. No, I, I know we're going to get in one to these one of these episodes. We're going to get into brain typing a little bit. We'll talk about how intuitives want to look to see their awesome shot before they hit their awesome shot. Brain type. That one uh, is it ESTP, ISTP, and DUMB. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What do you yep. have? Um, no, with the court. So it's interesting. Before we get into this, you know, we're putting up daily content on Facebook and also Instagram. And on Instagram, I I made a post with just basic numbers on the court. How long, you know, the distance of the tennis court, the distance on a diagonal and singles from the baseline to the service line, service line to the net. I just had those numbers and that's the most popular post we've ever had. It just, it was shared a thousand or so times and liked a thousand or so times. And it's just like, okay, people wanted to see that information, but the, uh, well, coming back to Vic Braden, the dimensions of the court and physical laws dictate stroke reduction. No coaches, opinion, or unique theory. Yeah. Got two young girls visiting here. They've been playing. They're well taught. So I draw it. You know, diagram of the tennis court. We have a whiteboard right by the courts. And I, I told both girls, I said, well, really right right now, I just have to understand I cannot even have a conversation with you. Yeah. In other words, I can't talk to you about tennis. Yeah. You know, how wide is the alley? How far is it from this line to this line? And and you just, it's building blocks. If, if the tennis court's 78 feet long, and then you say to a kid, well, how far is it to the net? And I think they've, they've taken enough math to be able to divide by two. It's halfway. Yeah. So it's 39 feet. And if it's three feet per step, it's 13 steps into the net. And then, you know, but you're already four steps behind the baseline. But they have to know the court. Yeah. And there's so many other things about the court, too. Like when they watch tennis on TV, you know, the angle of the camera, how it's very distorted, how small the player is. We always tell people, of course, people have bigger TVs now. The tennis court... The TV is usually about the width of two tennis rackets. That's a big TV. Yeah. 54 inches. <laughs> and But the player's about the size of your pinky. The ball's about the size of your fingernail. And people think the players are just hitting lasers really low over the net. Yeah. So it's very, very distorted. And in some ways, watching tennis on TV for sure can be more harmful. And even kids are looking at YouTube. You know, we always tell people, don't mistake the recovery as a follow through exactly. human, human eye at 24 frames per second, you know, and throwing all these numbers out, it's not by any means trying to impress someone. Um, we don't use the kids method. Keep it simple. Stupid kids aren't stupid. Don't underestimate the capacity of the learner. Now there's a little bit of twist on that. I, I tell kids that you're so smart. You're really intelligent. So let me have you answer this. Now that I told you that you're so smart, you're highly intelligent. <laughs> Are you stupid or stubborn? They, they'll say I'm stubborn. Yeah. But I said, you're so stubborn. You're stupid. Yeah. But no, the tennis court um, with uh, 34 feet, people that come and visit us several times, they come back and I'll, there's you know a handful of questions I ask and I look right at them and say, tell me where we get 34 feet. Mm -hmm. And they look at me, I don't know. I said, well, the book championship teacher, just wait. And on that one, most likely they can't answer. There's some questions that kids can't answer just because they're nervous. You're asking them and three or four other players are around. Yeah. But diagonally court's 82 and a half feet. Now, if you go cross court from the on your side, the corner of the baseline and then the, and the single sideline, 
going cross court on a diagonal, now to the other side line, in the intersection with the service line, that's 65 feet, nine inches. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you a side note, not to digress, but on our course, tennis intelligence applied. Yeah. Uh, didn't sleep enough uh, the night before, working too hard. I had it uh, 69.5. Yeah, but, six, but, but, but what's that? <laughs> I was just joking around. I said, you blew it. Yeah, yeah, I blew it all the time. <laughs> In fact, that was a line my mother used to use. You blew it. So, but why do people hit 65-9? Is they, they don't get the racket to blow the ball. And then they don't realize the tennis court's 19.1 degrees. You take the kid in the baseline and say, okay, point, um, point your racket down the line. I keep saying kids because I work so much with just training juniors and training coaches. Mm-hmm. Adults do. So you point your racket down the line and you have to close their eyes. And when they point to the other corner, they're pointing to the, the wrong off. court. Yeah. Or they're pointing to the next court. Yeah. Um, so anyway, when you hit through the court, um, we round off 82 and a half to 83. We take 65, nine, round it off to 66. And again, it's just approximate, but it's so, you know, it's not exact math, but it's say 17 feet. That's yeah. where Chris Everett was so good. 125 matches in a row on clay because it's 70 feet going, the, ball, the, the length of the shot, the ball goes to their baseline 17 feet. Now mm-hmm. it's got to come back in their 17 feet. Yep. So that's why someone like Chrissy, who didn't run the 100 yard dash very fast, she looked like she was never moving, you know, yeah. it's like, does she ever, does she ever sweat because she just hits the ball so deep. Yeah. No, the dimensions of the court, sometimes it's frustrating where, um, you know, if someone doesn't know the dimensions of the court and you get into technique, like, for example, I was talking to someone today about, you know, it was a little bit of a, not an argument, but a discussion about having a long backswing on the forehand or not. So a backswing that would go behind your back. And it's like, well, if you don't understand that the court is less than 20 degrees wide and so goes the backswing, so goes the rest of the swing, that you're going to start on a horizontal and it's going to want to continue on a horizontal, you know, you can't have that conversation with them. It's just tough to explain in a text. Well, it's a difficult force. It's like a car that's spinning out. It doesn't yeah. just all of a sudden straighten out. Um, you know, tennis teaching, you know, people say, well, years ago the game was linear. Now it's angular. You know, you know, for those of you who understand Spanish, caca de toros is it is angular you have to rotate in the beginning but yeah. it's linear because you got to have it, you know it's a combination of angular and linear the yeah. racket's got to go out towards the target yeah. as long as possible if you want to have a fighting chance yeah you rotate and then you translate yeah but um no i mean so it's just interesting the other thing that I, I really wish i could post more footage of is all the footage that we have from from ground level from the back view and you can really see you've seen some of those clips Maybe I can put some up sometime in the future, but with copyrighted stuff these days, but you really see how high over the net the players are hitting from defensive positions and then when they're in offense. And uh, it's just a great view if you get a chance to watch tennis live, hopefully sometime in the future, to try to get those court level, um, you know, shots. You can yeah. really see how high over the net they're hitting. In the court, it, it, you know, read Vic Braid's book, uh, Tennis for the Future, 1977 that, you know, people start knocking a ball around on a, on a ping pong table. Uh, and not to take anything away from people who play table tennis at a real high level, but you can, it's a little bit easier. You know, you're going to your garage and you're playing with your next door neighbor and you just bun the ball back and yeah. forth. Um, but it, tennis looks a little bit easier from the outside when you finally go and play. Yeah. The ball comes out of a ball machine at um, 30 miles an hour and you change the angle the racket face by one degree, the ball goes six feet further. Yeah. So, um, 
You know, people don't really realize the importance of working so much on technique in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Scary part about tennis, this comes in numbers, we'll get onto that, is you're being compared to the person on the other side of the net. And when you're playing beginners, you're playing beginners. Yep. And we just drum this one. Uh, when Crummy plays Crummier, who wins? Crummy wins. And what's the problem is Crummy doesn't know they're Crummy. Exactly. Uh, so what else you got on the court? Well, we've got the angle of the racket face and the angle of the racket path. Yeah, that comes back to the grips. Um, when it comes down to you should be able to be on the other side of the net and, and know your opponent's scripts. You know, we just hang onto a racket. You can have someone sit in a chair four feet in front of you and you just cover your hand with a clipboard. And then what grips this? What scripts this? Yeah. And then they should, players should know the advantages and disadvantages of the grips. Exactly. Um, you know, a lot of times a kid with a Western grip, they really close the racket phase and they do learn to, you know, swing up, have a brushing motion, but they cannot really penetrate, hit through the shot. So that's where little kid tennis and big kid tennis, there's a lot to be said about that too. Yep. The, the next point here is something we go over a lot with technique here. And it's just that basically it comes down to that we're trying to help people get a longer hitting zone on their shots. Take away the serve and the overhead, but on volleys, ground strokes, talk yeah, about the I hitting mean, zone. I know you've done a lot of film work. Uh, Federer is six feet on the backhand side. Other racket tracks out four and a half feet on the forehand side. Human eye can't see it. Yeah. So years ago in America, every kid played baseball. I mean, the, the girls uh, played softball. And the changeup would be the, the pitch comes in slow. Like even Andy Roddick, who had such a great serve, he would throw in the changeup. And it throws people's timing off. So, um, yeah, different gears. Uh, you know, there's just so much math you could throw kids that they can relate, relate to numbers. But if you're... Uh, Francois Durer, I mean, Braden was so funny the way she mm. used to hang out of the racket. He'd say, yeah, she's very strong. She could choke a bull with two fingers. <laughs> it, I mean, she looked like a three, five tennis player. Mm. And I mean, she played top 10 players. She played top 10 tennis in the world, but in mixed doubles, this was back in the days when a lot of the men had a continental grip on the forehand side and they had to make the roll. And they had such a difficult time with her slow surf. Yeah. Um, so, no, you, you, prevention of injury too. Play from the shoulder. You don't. You want. You don't want to have a per se wristy game. Yeah. No, those numbers. Just going back to the numbers on Federer that we measured uh, the 3D projects that I did with Vic. It's not that the strings would face the target for five or six feet or four feet, but that's how far out the racket would go before it would start to cut off to the left or to the right. Yeah. But you know, the hitting zone, at least twelve to eighteen inches. It's always been my understanding of it, um, where you want to have that yeah. window. About 75 milliseconds. Yeah. When, uh, years ago, certainly it's a myth, but, you know, keep the ball on your strings. Yeah. You want to feel like you're keeping the ball on your strings as long as possible. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the tragic things with the rackets today, I, uh, the, you know, I think of Pete Sampras one time was asked, if your son Christian played tennis, what would you do? I, this is when, you know, years be right just a year or two after his son was born is i'd have him play with a wooden racket i mean it's just slap city yeah and you know kids don't really know how to hit a soft off pace passing shot and it's just speed 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 um yeah. what else you got we got the incoming pace speaking of speed yeah so say for example uh someone's playing steffi graf people just have more trouble with their underspin backhand than their topspin backhand um 
to have variety. Um, if you slow ball player, you know, that's where unfortunately young players don't play older players, the juniors, the youth versus veteran match, mm-hmm. but to mix it up is, um, yeah, to, you know, that's where if somebody hits with a ball machine, they go, oh, I hit great. Or they hit with their teaching pro. I hit great. And k- kids will go out and they'll mirror their competition. And I think this makes the light bulb go off for parents because the kids come home and go, mom, I hate playing pushers. They yeah. just push. Yeah. And pushers have a house full of trophies. They get the balls back, but, um, their, their skill level is not, you know, they're not consistently giving you that clean ball. Yeah. Well, and that's why also speaking of a hitting zone, if you don't have a long hitting zone or if you notice your opponent doesn't have good hitting zones, if they cut it across quickly, then you know that you can mix up speed and spin and they're going to have a hard time with that. So just another reason why you want to know yeah. strokes and grips. Um, speaking of pace as well, I was talking to some of the kids the other day, you know, Slap City, one player would hit hard and then the other one would try to match that, but you get half of your opponent's speed plus a, roughly about one and a half times your own racket speed. So then the, what happens is it goes fast, faster, faster, boom, and then somebody misses. So you have to have that ability to change up the, the speed or the spin. It, really the speed with spin. Yeah, it becomes a slugfest. You hit hard, I'll hit hard. Yeah. It's interesting. Some kid hits a, a chip, they float they float a slice back in, and the other kid goes, I'll do it too. Yeah. <laughs> a minus like, and a minus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, power sources. Yeah, where the power sources come from. Ground reaction force, trying to set yourself feet or more than shoulder width apart. Ideally, you can hit off your front foot. You're going to coil. You can be open stance. Like, say, on the forehand, open stance, semi-open, square, closed. So a ground reaction force, being really loose in your shoulder, mm-hmm. holding your racket higher, longer, working gravity, letting the racket fall further. If it falls further, it goes faster. Yeah. Um, when you hit further away from your body... You know, power is related to the radius squared. Most people are too close to the ball. They naturally get too close to the ball because the racket's the same length as the arm. And naturally, uh, they they jam themselves. They get crowd themselves. If kids never hit off their front foot, they hit open stance, open stance, open stance. And then when they finally try to step in uh, because they've never really trained hit off the front foot, then they're too close to the ball. Yeah. When keeping your head still, keep... Uh, deceleration, acceleration, acceleration principles, not pulling open with the left hand. Yeah. Kids in their formative years should use their left hand, if they're right hand, should use their left hand on the forehand. It's like yeah. reactive break. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's a matter of being consistent as well, not just uh, the speed. But we always tell people that speed and spin are interchangeable. Um, it's not a matter, you're just trying to get more speed, you're trying to get more spin as well. Yeah, exactly. Stanley Plaganoff, who was one of the first uh, biomechanists, uh, that was on the scene years ago is that he listened to the tennis coaches and he, they was told, well, the, they, how do you hit the ball? So then he measured that, you know, you have to snap your racket face, racket faces open and come over the ball. And, <laughs> and then he found out that the information he was getting from the tennis teachers, they well, well, wait a minute, uh, this isn't going to work. Yeah, exactly. Because it has to go in the court. Yep. Revolutions per second. Um, you know, when kids hit a tennis ball, the MPH, the speed, but also the spin. Yeah. I just, I remember the, some of the numbers from Vic Braden with deceleration, acceleration, just going back to that quickly, where, you know, if you could, with the kinetic chain, the third link would, would be your trunk. If you could stop the third link, then the racket would go 1.5 times faster than human muscle contracts on ground strokes. And then on the serve, 
it was 1.7 times faster. So that, like you said, the reactive brake becomes so important, especially on the forehand. You see so many people pulling that left side early. Some people teach it. Um, yeah, you know, the one thing we do sl- have people slow down, check the checkpoints, but with power sources, you know, you hear people say, well, they've got a live arm. Well, does it mean the other person has a dead arm? Is <laughs> they're loose in their shoulder, they're breathing out. That's a power source. Yeah. And, but they have attitude. Attitude's a power source. You know, you're better off to uh, be a one ball blast and a forever push. You have a better chance of getting the racket phase, racket phase vertical to hit by swinging fast and swinging slow. Yep. So then, then how can you swing fast? And, you know, if, say, for example, on the serve, people think that if they throw their left arm out, like they'll misinterpret what a... Yeah. Uh, Andy Murray does. It looks yeah. like he's just like a like he's throwing the discus and he's really throwing the left arm. Yeah. But you have to look at it at the impact. Point. Yeah. You know. So, you know what happens afterwards? Um, not a conscious effort. I remember a, a good coach friend of mine who will remain nameless, but he said, uh, you know, Andy Murray doesn't tuck. You know, he doesn't bring that. And I said, yes, he does. Just look, just go in slow motion. You'll see. And then it was like, oh yeah, he does. <laughs> you know, Robbie Seguzo. I've known Robbie Seguzo since he was 10 years old and he married Carly Bassett. And I was the first director of the, it should have been because they married, it was Carly Bassett Seguzo, but it, it, the name was changed to the Seguzo Bassett Tennis Academy. Chris mm. Everett, Chris Everett owns it now. Mm. I can remember being with Roger, his brother, and we're at the Davis cup in Hamburg. And, but then just a few years later, Robbie retired early and, and, um, now we're looking at Agassi in slow motion, and at, at like Edberg, these players that he that he knew well, and and uh, see, you know, no, I was sitting right courtside. That's not how he hits it. <laughs> well, this is the film. If we go back a little bit, <laughs> we'll show you where you're sitting. <laughs> and, uh, so one of those things, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, now you've seen it. Do you believe it? Exactly. All right, the last thing I've got on here is true topspin. Yeah, make your swing go like a Ferris wheel, ball rotates like a bicycle tire. I know you tease the players and say that, that you see the UFO, UFO go by yeah. because they have a merry-go-round swing and they don't get their racket below the ball. And I mean, the racket, the ball spins like a Frisbee. Yep. And like, how do you get true topspin? And um, Braden again, um, what happens if you play with someone who hits true topspin on the forehand, true topspin on the backhand? <laughs> You will lose. <laughs> no, in, in the 3D studies that we've done, most of the time on average, players are about a foot below the ball to the impact, which is about a 30 degree upward swing on average. But, you know, Rafa gets two feet below the ball, you know, just about. Well, yeah, I tell so people, he, try two feet because you're only getting two inches. Yeah, exactly. That exaggerate. Yeah. Um, but when it comes down to young kids initially, to get the ball over the net, the common sense notion is to open the racket face. And when they're really, really young, yeah. I think at Roy Vasquez, he went to this program, ran tennis tech, where you get a two-year degree in tennis teaching pro management. He worked for Vic for 10 years. And I remember he was watching one of my sons play, and he said, when you're 18 years old, that ball's going out, <laughs> which is a great line. Yeah. It's a pearl of wisdom. Um, because little kids can have that racket face open, and they swing with all their might, and the ball goes in. Yeah. But it's not always going to work that way. No, I saw a, a, a video clip the other day where they, you know, show this, uh, you know, like a red ball point. These kids are really athletic. They're moving, you know, and it's this great point. It's this long, long rally, but I'm going, 
that's going out, that's going out, that's going out in a few years yeah. time. Just well, the transition balls are great training tools, but really I always tease people and say, why don't we play with a balloon? <laughs> you know, and if you watch how little kids are taught in America, it's a carnival. Yeah. Let's just get a balloon out. Aren't they having fun? Isn't that great? And they leave the sport. You yeah. know, it's a really, it's a really tragic. Talk about tennis math is how many kids play one tournament. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the Russian formula is to um, practice 3000 hours before you play. Yeah. You know, and here it's hit and giggle. Let's go. We're ready. And no, you're not ready. One of my students years ago, uh, Mike Custard, thought it was so clever. He taught adults and in his brochure or program, it said, you won't play for the first year. You know, it's like, you come out. And it's very difficult for entry level adults. It's yeah. like, Vic Brady used to say, they buy the clothes and wear them to the grocery store. I mean, <laughs> tennis is not easy. <laughs> nope. Well, moving on. So, to the third S, we've got strategy. And the first thing I have under here is styles, styles of play. Yeah, you know what? I don't really like the word style. Well, your style, I mean, from a tennis teacher standpoint, people have personalities, and that's great. You don't want everybody to have the same personality. You know, sometimes also, you know, I'll tell, you know, extroverts nicely, you need to shut up, but I will tell introverts, you don't talk at all. <laughs> Say good morning to people. But when it comes down to strategy, styles, you know, I mean, you always have to be careful. I mean, some people, um, they have to limp across the campus. They are dragging their right leg. But really, for the most part, with a walking style, it's left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. Mm -hmm. And so when it does come down to just, you know, what uh, game style do you have? Are you a baseliner? Are you an aggressive baseliner, a counterattacker, um, net rusher, serve volleyer, um, all-court player? You know, many people, when they play, if they stop and think about it, they don't have any patterns other than the fact they're trying to run around their backhand to get a forehand. Mm. They're not taking a second serve and coming in. They're not serving a volley in. Now, you know, even to take a ground stroke, I'm going to arc a ground stroke, drive a ground stroke. Um, so styles, yeah, that's certainly something with strategy. Yeah, patterns and combinations. When, you know, tic-tac-toe, the three zones of the court, red, yellow, green, you know, can you hit deep? Can you wait for the short ball? You know, can you play an approach shot? Can you come in? Can you play a volley? Do you have to play two volleys? You know, and then to train those combinations. Yeah. When it comes down to, um, you know, okay, we're going to work on an offensive forehand, but you have to be inside the court. So um, do you're if you're playing today and you're playing a right-hander, try to make them move to their right because they're hiding their backhand generally. <laughs> yeah. And they're not even thinking about playing an approach shot. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, when it comes down to a pattern, a series of shots, combinations, just you say a number of shots. Okay, shot one, two, and three. Like, you know, you have your combination open up your locker in the gym class. Um, you have to be able to play the first shot to play the second shot. So, like, say, say for example, somebody hits a drop shot. They just generally, they just hit it out of the blue. Um with, but if you're going to drop shot, if you arc the ball and the kid backs up and now they're, you know, 10 feet behind the baseline, then yeah. you move up because they hit, because when they back up, when you hit the ball up high with the trajectory, it's going to bounce high. Now the ball's above their shoulder. They hit a weak shot. And then, you know, it's not really a drop shot. It's an invitation shot. Mm -hmm. And then when they come to the net, it's the first time they've been in the net in 45 minutes. <laughs> Just hit the ball right at them. Yeah. You know, um, Shepard Mead wrote a book, How to Succeed in Business Without really trying. Mm -hmm. Then he wrote a tennis book, how to succeed in tennis without really trying. And 
to be a spoiler and to be a stretcher. Most most kids, um, you know, you pound, I will pound. You hit the ball like Nadal, I hit the ball like Nadal, and we'll both pretend we're great and we won't <laughs> we won't have one rally. And I'm talking about you know young kids being back, you know, twelve and under tennis. Yeah, they've got the outfit as yeah. well. This is one that are like Sampras 104. Yeah, I always tell people that as great as Sampras was, quiet champion. The last time he played an official match, four sets against Agassi, U.S. Open, he came to that 104 times. Most junior tennis players don't come to the net 104 times a year. I mean, if you're talking about picking up balls, but I'm yeah. talking about coming in. Um, so everybody wants to win. You know, the, obviously the kid, the 10 and under kid wants to win, the parent of the 10 and under kid, the coach of the 10 and under kid. Yeah. And, you know, I grew up playing ice hockey. And, you know, if, to tell kids to always dump the puck in, get it over the blue line and dump the puck in. So the puck goes to the other end and the other team doesn't have it for a minute or two. They don't have a chance to score or a moment or two, mm-hmm. but how are they ever going to learn to stick handle? How are they going to learn to pass the puck? And, you know, um, if you don't start going to the net early, it's all brain memory. Yeah. So people say, why don't people go to the net? Cause they don't go to the net. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we play one bounce doubles or he has to come in. You can play one bounce singles. I had kids say, okay, we're playing a set. You can only hit three balls after the first set. You can only hit three balls off the ground. Second set, you can, you know, you can have short scoring, mm-hmm. um, you know, start at 30 all, but just make them stop and think, you know, second set, okay, you can only bounce twice. Third set, you can only bounce once. Um, but yeah, it's just sad. Yeah. Another one I like is uh, Navratilova, nine Wimbledons in her slice or under. Yeah, she backhand. could 110. Uh, uh, who was the meter? Martinez. Uh, uh, she's done very well coaching. Conchita Martinez? Yeah. Um, not taking anything away from her, but Naratilova, I think it was a compliment to her, but it was an insult to women's tennis that she could play at age 50. So, um, I mean, I think she might be able to play today. We were just watching Kim Kleister's on TV. Yeah. Uh, anyway, when it comes down to, you ask a tennis group, since Martina Naratilova, retired she won she won Wimbledon nine times and she had this great one-handed under spin backhand approach shot and even two-handers should learn that shot so your tennis groups are hard-pressed to name nine women that have hit that shot since she's retired and you know that okay let's do a situational drill feed the ball the backhand come in you know ideally you can come in cross court Uh, you know when it comes down to the math on that when someone hits under spin you know, it's not like they're floating it, but they, it's going to it's going to travel slower than topspin. So when the ball's in flight, they can be a moon. They get closer to the net, yeah. proximity to the net. So the trajectory keeps the ball low. You know, a lot of kids too, especially if they have a Western grip. Like coming back to you, need the tennis math, you need to be able to look at the grips. So then your opponent, as you were talking about earlier, they get fifty percent of your pace from your pace. Mm-hmm. So most kids just stop. They don't move through the approach out. They just blast and the point's over. They win the point and they're still standing behind the service line. And that's where a lot of times young players don't realize that if you have vision, you're looking at someone playing and go, yeah, you're winning on the scoreboard today, but you're not going to beat Mickey Mouse. You're you're not going to get out of this backyard league. You're just going to play a few miles from your house Yeah, because you just, um, you know, don't have refined skills. Yeah, you got to have options. I mean, I always chuckle a little bit when I watch players like Serena Williams, you know, in the early rounds, often in the Grand Slams, they're all great players. But I'm just thinking, 
do you really think you're going to be able to beat Serena from the ground, you know, baseline to baseline? And it's like, no, it's not going to happen. Or if they, you know, they lose the first set 6-0 or 6-1, they're down two or three love in the second, you know, why don't you try something different? You know, you have to have those options to be able to serve and volley or hit an approach shot or even loop the ball high. Vic used to say that about Guillermo Vilas from Argentina, Bjorn Borg, Sweden. Yeah. Is that, you know, Borg would just beat people and beat people and, and they'd go out and play the same way. Instead of, okay, uh, I'm losing to you this way, but yeah. I'm going to change it up, have a little bit of fun. Yeah, you just say, you might as well just mail in the scores. Yeah. No, I was with him, I was at Big Brain one time at the Easter Bowl, and he said that, it's, you know, he goes, these poor kids, they have no options. It's just one kid playing the same way against the other kid. Yep. And the ball's up in the air, and it's, you know, it's like a wounded duck, and you go, are they going to come in and take it out of the air? No, they're running back to the fence and letting it bounce. Yeah. And it's a national tournament. They've got, they got on an airplane to go play the tournament. Yep. And, you know, and the parents have spent, you know, thousands of dollars on how they play the game. Yep. All right, I've got down here changing direction of the ball, high of the net, et cetera. Yeah. Um, you know, kids get confused because it's actually fantastic to change the direction of the ball on, on the right shot. So, you know, we say inside the baseline. So we say there's three zones within the red zone, defensive, neutral, offensive. And you're looking to change the direction of the ball when they hit weak, WWW, weak, weaker, weakest. Mm-hmm. So, they, but to just out of nowhere say, okay, and this is, I think, little kid tennis. You're over here, meaning their opponent. You're on this side of the court, so I'm going to hit to the other side of the court. <laughs> and a lot of times parents don't know any better. They didn't grow up playing tennis, and they're saying, why are you always hitting back to them? Yeah. And say, they have nothing to do with it. <laughs> you know, it's just like playing chess. You play the board. You don't play the, your opponent. Yeah. So very quickly, you know, down line is 78, cross court's 82 and a half. So it's four and a half more feet going cross court. It's an insignificant reason, but the net is higher to the outside. Also, too, when you change the direction of the ball, if you're off by one degree, you'll miss wide. You can make your opponent run when you change the direction of the ball, but they can actually make you run more. So you yep. lose steps. You know, when you think about going down the line where you have to recover to bisect the potential angle of the next shot, it's a greater distance. Yep. It promotes side-to-side play. And you know, we're, teaching people, we're teaching people to go forward. Psychologically, it's a problem, too. It's like forehand to forehand. I will go to your forehand toe-to-toe. Mm-hmm. It's like Connors who... You know, Lendl was coming up and Connors was going down. And if you look at their head-to-head, Lendl was leading. But Connors beat him twice in the U.S. Open Finals. And But Connors went up to him, all 155 pounds, and he pointed his finger out of the locker room and said, I'm coming right at your forehand. You know, you have to be able to go to someone's strength to exploit the weakness. Exactly. And, you know, I watched a match today, and uh, a young kid was hiding the backhand. And uh, the young boy that we're working with, had no idea. The ball was round. The ball was yellow. <laughs> no clue. You touched briefly upon the uh, zones of the court with the with the red zone. When you go through zones. Yeah, tic-tac-toe. I mean, I think most people, they're backing up so much, they're in the twilight zone. Um, <laughs> if kids were to miss in a pointing situation, if they were to get to the green zone, when the point's over, you could take one step out and touch the net. Yeah. Uh, when it comes down to, I think Dick Gould at Stanford said it so well. He won 17 national championships. He'd tell his players, I don't care how you get there, but you need to get there uh, twice a game. Now, this was on grass, but um, I know uh, Matt Clure has worked with Mackenzie McDonald, who's practiced with Roger Federer. Federer said, you, you know, if you're not playing on grass. You got to get to the net at least twice a game. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I do think that's uh, perhaps something that's more fitting today when people start talking about the ball and how the grass has changed and the strings and all that. But mm-hmm. um, to not go in at all is a problem. So it, you really have to know positions. Um, I don't think that young tennis players have a fear of getting cut. They don't have a fear of, um, I mean, high school tennis is it's sad. So many kids at homeschool now, they don't even play high school tennis. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's like we have a no cut policy for high school tennis. Yeah. And it's, and it's like a picnic. People are bringing refreshments. And I, I just don't <laughs> understand that. We're in basketball. Okay. There's a varsity, there's a JV, there's a freshman team. And, um, you know, so when it comes down to um, your positional play, and you, if you're in the wrong position, you can not only maybe get, you know, benched or put down to the JV team. Um, tennis kids just don't think that way. Yeah. So you, you, but many times they're just out of position. They back up and, you, you know, that's where you should wear a whistle, stop, blow the whistle, freeze. Right. And, you know, I had a young boy, I thought he was great the other day. He's uh, playing, he played a couple sets, a young boy against a young girl and he won the sets. And I said, now play this set where you have to stay inside the baseline. You just have to play everything on the rise. And yeah. what was shocking is he did it the entire set. He lost, which is like, you almost start walking backwards. Did he really do that? <laughs> um, which, which is great. Um, but no, you, the kids, they have to you know, stop, freeze. Where are you? Yeah. You know, what yeah. else you got? Well, green zone. So Peter Burwash, GVP and IVP. Yeah. Peter Burwash. Um, great guys. It's not so much for tennis. Um, GVP good volume position is 10 and a half feet. So from the service line to the net is 21. So halfway when you play your approach shot, so that you got to wait for the right ball to come in. You got to come in with intelligence. You got to know your steps. You know, you start talking about kids, 78 feet, yeah. 39 feet, 13 steps. And when you're, when you're approach shot, you don't stop and, and blast. That's a, that's a forcing shot. It's not it's against, against the rules. I mean, there's appropriate time for that, but you're going to move through. You're going to, like the airplane approaches the net. Yeah. So then when you split step, I mean, it's just temporary. It's not like you stop. Yeah. And we know now with research is that it's just, a, it's not the old fashioned two feet splitting is that you're, you're going to the right on a diagonal, your right foot hits when it hits, it's veered off on a diagonal at a 45. So, um, when it comes down to, uh, the zones of the court getting in. What else you got? No, I'm just going to throw out, since we're talking about tennis math, where, you know, GVP, and then when you can get two steps forward to IVP, ideal volume position, yeah. you have 130 degrees of volume potential. Yeah, no, that's not more math, you know. That's where it's, uh, from behind the baseline, we say less than 20, 19.6 mm-hmm. in the center, 19.1 to the outside, doubles is 24.2. And, and again, it's not a matter of confusing anyone. So we're just... Uh, doctoral jargon yeah so if you could reach over the net you get 180 degrees and you know you you work with young kids and you know okay they haven't done that type of math yet yeah but they're going to understand you cannot reach over the net you cannot (laughs) hit left you cannot hit right but three feet from the net um and of course younger kids they go to the net to lose at a faster rate exactly but at the same time they should still go, you know, imagine if some kid was in the 12s and they were told every time you're up 40 love, now that would probably come under statistics, but yeah. you're up a green light point, hit a body serve, hit straight forward because you want the ball to come back. You're not going to try to hit an angle serve because then you hit an angle return, angle yeah. but gets an angle. Uh, but there's a, there's so many numbers going place, going out there. 
I was in France with, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I see him on American TV all the time. He knows right where to sit. <laughs> Patrick Mortagolu. How do you say it? Um, I think it's Mortaglou. Okay. But uh, I don't, you know, I've met Patrick a few times. We I worked with a player that was at his academy, Julia Vakulenko, years ago. But uh, I don't know if I have that one right either. I was at his old academy in Paris, not the one in Nice. Very quickly, I was working in a, it was a project player, a young, young American kid that Baghdadis has seen hitting some balls. Um, I can remember being interviewed by Vanity Fair and GQ magazine. And, but I went and went over there for two weeks and yeah. Patrick said, with you, it's all about math, but tennis is all about art. <laughs> um, anyway, math, he, he, it is a science, it is an art, but, but come on. I mean, you, you, how could you teach a tennis lesson and, and not know, for example, um, that you really want to have the swing on the forehand be two parts. So it's a continuous motion. And yeah. You know, oh, that's too complicated. No, it's not too complicated. No. Yeah. It's physics. And then the art of the art part of it is the coaching side of it and how you get someone to do that. Peter Burwash, the art is where you start, you know, then, you know, the personality communicating it, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when it comes down to skills, you know, this is a grip of a lifetime. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was working with someone uh, just today, uh, someone who played college tennis hasn't played in 20 years and to videotape him, you know, he's had such an inefficient grip on this shot and that shot. And, you know, it's not about him now. It's okay. I want to become a better player, but he's got three sons that are learning the game and say, well, you know, and it's like, this is why it's wrong. Yeah. You know, I, I like uh, Jack Kramer story where how I could um, build a golf course, no, excuse me, buy a golf course and build a tennis club. Because under pressure, I knew Gonzalez was going cross court on the forehand volley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, Braden used to tell a story about Pancho Segura. It's almost totally dark out, and he's dropping the ball, hitting it, and just running. running yeah. And he goes, "What are you doing?" And he, you know, the other Pancho, little Pancho, big Pancho, he goes, he goes, he's going to go cross court on every volley. But he came in with such a big serve, and it's like, okay, I got to, you know, he's going to pull me way out wide of this big serve, but then he's got the can opener, and he's going to yeah. hit the volley here. Um, yeah, then it's interesting with pressure too. That's something that, um, you know, there's so many hard sciences, but the psychological side is a soft science, but it's there. You can't really measure it so much. Yeah. A couple more things. Um, I've got, uh, the short ball range, the radius short ball range. That's another question we ask kids. Um, if they've studied the content, Braden used to say that if you know the short ball range, you really know tennis. Cross court, we have a, a quiz that we put together and it's not to make anyone feel bad, but um, it's 15 questions and it's not really written with trickery, but a lot of times people are 0 for 15. And one question would be, you know, true or false, you know, the best approach out is down the line. Yeah. The best approach out is cross court. Now there's lots of variables. You'll hear that, that people sure. just, people start running backwards. Yeah. Oh, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. <laughs> and you know, you got a lefty, you got a righty, the forehand better, the backhand better. If you, if you understand the short ball range, and we have people answer it, 21 feet, and they don't really know. Yeah. It, if we were to mark off 13 steps to the net, say, okay, for you, it's approximately seven steps for you to get into GVP, yeah. 10 and a half feet from the net. So 21 feet. So you, you take a rope and you just have the person who gets to GVP and you walk backwards, it's 21 feet. 
And now you start to walk to the other side of the court, like you're going to play cross court. Yeah. And everywhere on your short ball range is 21 feet. So it's a number of steps for you to get to GP. So if you are going to approach cross court, you can't come in from the perimeter, the outside of the court. Yeah. If you're going to go cross court, you have to wait for a ball that's shorter and closer to the middle. And so we have this content. We give people a reading list. And, you know, I asked somebody, their parents invested thousands of dollars in their game. We've worked with them really thousands of hours. Yeah. And you ask them, what's the short ball range? And it's like, you feel like you should just spoon feed the kid. It's like, <laughs> did you learn anything? Because once again, it comes back, independent thinker, problem solver. And, yeah. you know, it comes back to what we said about Naratilova. We, we drop hit an underspin backhand every day. Yep. And people, people make fun of it. And then, then they find out that well, we've had some success trading players. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Um, because you're taking speed off the shot, you're getting in, you're keeping the ball low. And when the ball comes in, Braden used to say, ball comes in crooked, it's difficult to hit straight. straight yeah. So if, if you tell someone, well, if you p- can approach cross court and just watch, and if, if kids were to just sit in front of a TV, I, I find it amazing. Now, we have the US Open on, uh, and kids kind of just like, where'd they go? Well, maybe they're in the room, maybe they're watching on their laptop. Yeah. I, I don't think they're watching it. And then if they were watching it, did they take pencil and paper? Uh, we have kids all the time. We film them and say, okay, you know, go chart your match. We taught you how to chart. Yeah. And that's another whole set of numbers. Yep. But that comes back to self-management. We filmed you. You know, we said, okay, we want you to f- just chart 10 points on your serve, 10 points on your return. Did you do it? That comes back to the pra- practice log. Yep. It's so like Coach, character. Coach K says that with the five fingers, you know, it's very weak, but you bring the five fingers. You have the basketball coach at Duke, then mm-hmm. you have a fist. With us, if you put together self-management, strokes, strategy, statistics, and score, and there's a lot to be said about score. Yeah. And you you have a really good handle on those five, then you're going to be strong, solid player. Yeah. I got a couple more here. Holding the line, HTL. Yeah, I see you're going through a lot of things on the library. With You're looking at Jim Burdick, Redlands. Yeah. 37 years, great Jim Verdick, 15 national championships, no scholarships. What an amazing story. We should have a podcast on Jim Verdick. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Dennis Vandermeer used to say that, you know, he the Jim was the brains behind the professional tennis registry. Once again, you don't volley to the open court when the ball is below the level of the net. Now, again, in strategy, you want to stay away from the words always and never. Yeah. But when the ball is below the level of the net, again, math. Now the racket face has to open up. Mm-hmm. The racket face has to open up. You cannot swing as fast. Yeah. You, you know, so you can hit a, a drop volley. Yeah. You can hit a, a TV shot. You can hit the shot that's going to make the highlight reel. But basically, you just take it right back where it came from. Sampras was great at that. Yeah. But it's like, then you, that comes into something else that we have to mention with stats, the aggressive air margin. Mm-hmm. You know, when, one of the reasons people don't go to the net is they don't understand stats. They don't trust their volley. Yeah. Okay, because, you know, they got the wrong grip. On they the don't volley. have a volley. <laughs> they don't have a volley. They haven't practiced their volley. But when it comes down to it, they got their elbow in, their racket face, a strong, strong continental grip. Uh, and the angle of the racket face is going down. But, yeah, the instincts, information, ideas, information, ideas, insights, equal instincts. So they yeah. haven't been in. So, um, when it, you know, it comes down to uh, it, it, all of it, the building blocks, it all adds up. Yeah. Situational, tra- situational training. Well, you know, you could break it down into uh, technical training, situational, then competitive. You know, tennis is, uh, you do block learning. Yep. You know, when it comes down to rote, just the basic over and over and over again. 
but tennis is a random sport. It's not like yeah. you hit, you know, 15 forehands in a row. Um, but situational training, there's, you know, you can do it with score. Gloria Connors, Jimmy, you're going to play the sets 1530 at one serve, uh, one bounce tennis. You know, we do things where, okay, you're going to throw up a high defensive lob, let the ball bounce, hit an overhead. Hmm. You know, today a young player is playing, he, his opponent hits an overhead He's at the, our player's at the baseline and he hacks down at it. I'm just going, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, if you have, you, if you're in a position where you can't counter it, just, because what you want to do off an overhead is just try to hit top seam as hard as you can right back to the middle. But, you know, so you, you just know the best players in the world is having sometimes they, they, one, okay, is an outright winner, but they hit an overhead and you can make a play on it. Mm-hmm. And if you can't make a play where you swing with speed, speed against speed, you throw up another lob. Yeah. You throw up another lob. Yeah. The, um, Keep rolling here. I know we're, we're going fast. We're rolling. With, uh, so we're moving on to the next S, statistics. I've got uh, match count on the first one. Number of matches played. Yeah. When it comes down to, I think for parents, the cost, what are you paying per match? That's a yeah. big problem in American tennis. That's, Huge. That's another whole subject. But um, how many matches have you played? How many matches have you won? Are you a tennis snob? I mean, you should be able to play. Are you in a tennis click? Don't be, you should be able to play anybody and everybody. When it comes down to a formula, is it at 25% of the time you're playing better players, 50% of the time you're playing players at the same level, and then 25% of the time you're playing lower ranked players. If everybody once a week would call somebody up who's at a much lower level and say, hey, you want to play tennis? Yeah. It would just spike tennis. It would exactly. be so great for tennis. Yeah. And, you know, but people, you know, it's a myth. Oh, I got to always play with better players. I have, you know, even in a drill situation, just because you're standing next to Tommy, who's pretty good. That doesn't mean he's going to help you out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, play 10 times. Yeah. Kids get so stressed out. And when it comes down to stressed out, winning and losing, put their self-esteem, their self-worth on the line is if people really need no sports, they're not going to say who wins between these guys. They're going to say if they play 10 times. Yeah. I mean, play 10 times. One's going to be indoors. One's going to be outdoors. One's going to be hard. One's going to be on clay. Yeah. But it's not like ultimatum who wins today. Yeah. So kids need to really understand that. And um, I think Edberg one year, he won the U.S. Open in Wimbledon. But he also lost in the first round of the other two Grand Slams. Yeah. I mean, I could have been. Uh, he, But it was two and two. I, yeah. I, I could might have been Australia. But um with, um, you know, you think Aggies used so great. How many years did he play Wimbledon? How many times did he win it? He won it once. You know, players lose. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to lose the right way. If you win, it's a bonus. You know, it's not the loving to win, hating to lose. Can you just compete? Yeah. Compete and work on your game. Get better. Learn to have those options. Yeah. Um, be managed by stats, not by score. Definitely. Be managed by stats, not by score. And, and stats go back to self-management. What time do you get up in the morning? What time do you go to bed? How many hours were you on your phone? Did you yep. make your bed? And so, oh, these guys are being too militant. No, it's just. <laughs> you said, do you want to be number one? Yeah, you wrote down you want to be a great player. I had two Russians uh, one time working with me as fitness trainers. And they, I said, come up with one word that will define what you, what you do. And they both spoke English really well, but they said, okay, give us 24 hours. And they came back with obedience. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, obey the laws of physics, but really also obey your own goals. Yeah. So, I'm sorry, remind me, what was that? Senior moment, what do you got? No, we were just talking about being managed by stats and not score. Yeah, managed by stats. When it comes down to, um, 
you know, I know kids that I've worked with, they've played three years of tennis where they didn't serve in volley one time. And you tell them and you tell them and you tell them. And uh, you go to practice, you know, I think at two boys now, they're, they're you know, they're going to be recruited. They one, One's already a senior. The other one's going to be a, a junior. They're already, you know, being recruited by name schools. And um, the, uh, the one player just went years without losing to the other player. And, you know, it's, I would say right now the, the player that lost so much is better on hard. The last two times they played on hard. Hmm. But when they show up on clay, they go play on clay, the, the player was one on hard. It's like, got the white flag and I already surrender. This is <laughs> over. It, it's just amazing. So, I mean, to, to just let people know. And then that's where they're going to get so tight. If they don't practice the right way, they won't play the right way. I mean, have some fun. I mean... Um, you know, yeah. you've been taught to volley, hit an overhead, try to hit a volley, try to hit an overhead, have some fun. Yeah. Vicky used to say all the time, just say, hey, have some fun, go in there and give it a try, you know, give it a shot. You know, like Vic used to say, let's play doubles, you got to poach on every ball. And it's just like, you know, what happens when you poach and you get burned down the line, you're supposed to poach on the very next ball. Yeah. Just let them know I'm coming again. Yeah. When we say Vic, we're talking about Vic Braden, someone we spend a lot of time with, have a lot of respect for. Green light points. We we touched upon that a little bit. Carlos Goffey's book, Tournament yeah, Tough. Yeah, Tournament Tough. Carlos Goffey, great personality. Worked with the McEnroe brothers. Actually, worked for Harry Hopman. Um, actually, if you went back to Jack Kramer's high school coach, not only did he teach him a lot about the court, but a lot of just about the odds. Mm. So a green light point works two ways. It's not just when you're ahead. Right. Uh, you know, say, for example, you're returning. It's It's love 40. Okay, take a risk, mass on your side. Most likely you're going to lose the game. Yeah. And, but at this, for sure on the offensive side, you're up 40 love. Now, some people say, no, just stay with what got you up 40 love. Hmm. And that's where players end up being one-dimensional. One-dimensional. It's kind of like with overheads. Um, Malcolm Glad Gladwell's book, Blinking. Blink. Blink, sorry, Blink. Yeah. Is that uh, Vic was uh, part of that yep. report? At right up and uh, when it, here's my comment on that. Young kids taking lessons. The coach, the teachers giving feeding the balls out of the basket, and the kid can hit overhead after overhead. Right. But then it's a match, and you know the kid's going to miss. The ball goes up, <laughs> and he goes, he's missing. She's missing this overhead for sure, because the brain's got two sets of motor programming. And they're in the lesson. It's a fishbowl. The coach is feeding the balls. Yeah. Isn't this sweet? He's being yeah. so nice to me. She's being so nice to me. But then they're swimming with the sharks. They're out there in a match. And it's like, I have never been here before. Yeah, pressure. Self-inflicted. Yeah. That's another thing, pressure, is that I don't really believe in parental pressure, peer pressure to the nth degree. It all comes down to self-inflicted. And you yeah. got to thrive on it. That's where the really good coaches are constantly putting pressure on people. Yeah. I like this line here where uh, winning is not confusing. It's totally confusing. Yes, um, we could use some other words as well in between there, but <laughs> with uh, somebody has to win. Jose Garris said that once this uh, top 10 player in the world, Spanish players had a lot to do with American tennis through the USDA is that the 12 and unders. Somebody's got to win. Yeah. It's like with uh, Tony Nadal when Rafa won the 12 and under Spanish championship, they had a party <laughs> and 
Tony ruined the party. He read this list of 20. It's in one of the, one of the books on the Dow. He reads the list of 25, the past 25 years, who's, who's won the 12. Mm. And he said, all right, now I want you to raise your hand if you can name any of these players. And I guess there was two names that they could recognize. <laughs> so then Tony said, well, we'll have a nice meal, but this is not a party. <laughs> he, he, won, perfect. he won nothing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, actually in the States, we got to be careful of braggadocious and, and uh, uh, Taekwondo in the States, they used to have the, bra- the black belt and the brown belt. And now it's like a rainbow. Hmm. I mean, they have some colors that have like red with stripes and red with no stripes. Yeah. And now Taekwondo is take your dough. You know, oh, my son, <laughs> my son. You know, and, and there, I mean, I hear so many people say, oh, my son's a black belt. I'm going, yeah, really? Yeah. They can't even touch their toes. I mean, so <laughs> it, it, there could be a little bit, uh, that's another whole thing about numbers. Um, Talking about Patrick from France, money comes into it. Yeah. Pockets. Yep. Okay, go ahead. No, little kid tennis versus big kid tennis. Oh, for sure. For sure. There's so many stories about players. There's there's exceptions to the rules, but there's so many players that were really good in the 12s. Now, this is how it works with math is the kid who's really good in the 12s, most likely they become a banker. Hmm. They're very conservative. They figure out like a squirrel gathering nuts. I am not going to miss yes. <laughs> and I will win. Yeah. And I will let the other guy lose. I will have more nuts than they will have. Yeah. So, so then someone starts to understand forcing tennis. I think of uh, Philip Farmer who played Oklahoma. He coached the Bryan brothers. I've seen him a little bit, but I remember him from the junior. So he played one of my players. It was a cotton bowl kid. I worked with Timmy Hurst. So Timmy wins. He's got the trophy. And his father's a brilliant researcher and we're having a, a meal afterwards to get together. And I'm trying to explain to him, I said, you know, Timmy, uh, you got the trophy, but you're really lost. <laughs> I said, Philip was, you know, he was beating you like a drum. I mean, he was just at the net, but he wasn't, he was 14 years old. He wasn't executing. Yeah. So play pro style tennis, right? Play, you know, begin with the end in mind, play the way you're going to play at the end. But at the same time, we don't mean kids trying to hit the ball really hard. Yeah. Yeah, we're on stats, right? So when it comes down to uh, Bill Jacobson, to me, he's the godfather of electronic charting. What a bright, bright guy. And now um, Craig O'Shaughnessy, yeah, pat him on the back. He's certainly is bringing numbers to the forefront and getting people to read about stats. And you know, he will, he will say, well, the first four shots. And I have heard him say that, you know, not for developmental tennis. But, so you, but some of you will hear that phrase, yeah. first four shots. Well, that doesn't apply to, you know, some 10-year-olds are trying to learn how to have solid, efficient stroke mechanics. Yeah. Another thing that you'll hear is just, I just, it's like, oh, please don't say that. We're going to work on serve plus one. Mm-hmm. So typically how that works in, for young players is, okay, they're going to arch their back, toss over their head. They're going to um, ha- have trajectory. The ball is going to bounce high and the kid on the other side will let the ball bounce high, even though it's coming in, you know, slower than molasses. <laughs> and... Then the ball gets above their shoulder. They hit short. And then the player runs around and they're just going slap city to hit the forehand. And they're both playing the same way. Yeah. And of course the fans, the parents, they only have two people in their fan club, their mother, father, they're watching it. And you know, what happens in the first 10 minutes, that's what's going to happen in every continual 10 minute segment till the match is over. So, um, yeah, you know, that's where, you know, Federer, he made the list when he was a kid. I remember Braden asked him that. Yeah. Okay, I know I have to hit all these shots. Plus, Federer had a, a, a motive where he wanted to look good. You know, he, you can even see how he copied Becker on the return of serve. 
Yeah. Where he turns on three and he changes it where he goes towards the bottom, closer to four. Yeah. What else you got? No, the Bill, Bill Jacobson, his language with stats. Um, so Bill, uh, 1982, he came up with the first laptop. It was even before people called a computer a laptop. You got one upstairs. Cool. Yeah, I had two at one time. So Weighs um, about 90 pounds. With... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, you, you can get information three ways. You could get it on the screen. You could print it out like it was a grocery grocery receipt. Yeah. And then you could go home and you had a you had a, a printer that just was for that computer, for the CT120. Hmm. Uh, people just say, what are you doing? I'm charting matches. I can tell you, the first time I ever used a Bill Jacobson's computer, I was training, uh, charting Clayton Stanley, who played at the University of Texas. Hmm. And he was playing against Ryan Simi, who played at Notre Dame. And Clayton got beat pretty bad as, as far as uh, maybe it was, uh, you know, breadstick and a breadstick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he got bageled, but so maybe it was, you know, 6161 instead of 6160. Mm-hmm. But Clayton, a bright kid, he got 40% of the points. And the next time he played, which was like just a couple weeks later, he, it, not like he won the match, but he played him in really like two, seven, five, seven, six sets. So Jacobson, the balls hit three ways. You ask kids at it, you know? Yeah. Top spin, underspin, flat. <laughs> and, you know, no, it's hit as a plus, a minus, an IP. Understand uh, Craig Tiley, who was with us for so many years, he's done some things with an app for, for uh, analytics with, with Tennis Australia. Hmm. Um, when he was with us, uh, you know, we, we did a number of projects for Bill Jacobson. So it hasn't changed. And, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not really fond of too many... Uh, programs I've seen for charting matches because people aren't talking about the forcing shot. Yeah. But the balls hit three ways, plus minus IP. In play. Plus is offensive or plus is, we just go plus is strong, minus is weak. IP is in play. You could say neutral. Yeah. The point only ends three ways. Plus plus is a winner. Minus minus is an unforced error and minus F. Excuse me. Then we get kids to uh, do a differential. Yeah, and the minus F is the forcing error. Forcing shot. Yeah. It's like in doubles. You know, I'm watching some kids play doubles today, and they're hitting all these volleys wide. And, you know, in high-level doubles, almost every point ends as a minus F. Mm-hmm. You're basically, you just put your hand up, go, sorry, I yeah, you in the yeah. right hip, but that's where I was aiming. <laughs> exactly. You're trying to make the other kid look like a donut. Yeah. Um, you know, that comes down to math, is that um, if people could go back to their their log, their practice log, and go, yes. I played 15 minutes, 20 minutes of one bounce doubles. Everybody going in. Yeah. You know, like at the lowest level pro tennis, you know, I know you've coached quite a few kids at that level is at the, they practice for an hour and a half and they look at each other. Are you good? Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. You're not good. That's That's why why you're on the circuit. And, you know, it's amazing. Uh, One up, one back doubles. You know, a lot of times a superior athlete, um, it's they'll they'll uh, they'll win. You know they have the inferior system, but they win, and it's, mm-hmm. it's just so sad. Kids will play four years of college tennis now, and they come out playing one up, one back. I yeah, mean, oh, they're winning the NCAAs that way. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> the um, I think we're going to move on to score our last S. Hope our listeners are getting something out of this. We're going pretty fast here, so um, score. Um. People think of Dennis Vandermeer. What a great tennis mind. Spin, placement, um, your target depth, you know, all these different things. Okay, this is what you're trying to hit, do with a shot. 
the spin of the shot, the placement of the shot, the depth of the shot. Um, and then the last thing is the speed of the shot. And people go, okay, I'm going to forget spin. I'm going to forget placement. I'm going to forget depth. And I'm just hitting that baby. Yeah. So what happens with the five S's that we have self-management, strokes, strategy, statistics, just forget that. What's the score? Yeah, exactly. What's the score, <laughs> mom? And um, UTR, you know, there's some negatives about the UTR because people are gaming it and people are so obsessed by it. But it's like, you know, how do you improve your game? How do you improve your, your UTR? And, you know, what time do you go to bed? What time do you get up? You know, do you yeah. do the sit-ups? Do you do the push-ups? Do you, do you get in front of the mirror? You know, what's the, what's the RPMs on your forehand? Can yeah. you hit it? Yeah. It's all one. People don't have the long-term vision. Yeah. Um, With the first four S's. Who's going to be the king for today? Exactly. Couple other numbers with uh, USTA, tennis recruiting, UTR. Well, they're, they're with college coaches here in the U.S. and around the world, people want to come and play college tennis in America. It used to be your USTA ranking. And there have been so many things over the years. People would have some wins early on and they would go, they would hide. They'd yeah. have a couple yeah, wins exactly. the first quarter of the year and then they're like, where'd they go? Yep. And they would, they would game the USTA ranking. And then, and, and the rules are forever changing within, say, the USTA or any, any system of ranking. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could start just by the, the birth year. The years I've been in tennis, USTA has had three different birth years. Mm. Um, you know, now you could play to uh, the year that, like, say, if you're in the 18s, you can play to the month before you turn 19. So um, when it comes down to, then there's tennis recruiting. Are you a five-star? Yeah. And there's something really perverse about that where, you know, some kids in the sixth grade and they already know they're a blue chip. <laughs> and most likely if they're a 12 and under blue chip, they play the wrong way. They've got the wrong grips. And, you know, what's really interesting is that most likely that kid is going to end up playing at one of the Power Five conferences. They're going to play bottom of the lineup because they're a warrior. They're a seasoned veteran as a counterattacker. Right. And they're they're going to not even, the coaches even think about them playing doubles. Yeah. And that's all the way, that's that's been true with American players. Like, say, Michael Chang was great, but they when he was on the Davis Cup team, they weren't thinking, okay, maybe Michael could play doubles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but are people even aware of that? The Bryan brothers just retired. And, you know, maybe the fact that they've retired, we're pretty close to having serve and volley doubles be retired. Yeah, I know. Seriously, I mean, it's yeah, sad. It is. Now, with the UTR, I think that's a whole other discussion that we could have just a, a yeah, podcast Dave, on the UTR, but it's the Dave, same, same Dave problem. Howell, I, I did work early on with Dave Howell and Dave Fish. Dave Fish was at Harvard for so long. Dave yeah. Howell, um, teaching pro in Virginia. I mean, I, uh, I mean, I know fish really well, but I mean, I, I wrote an article, um, that was published in tennis life, a thousand dollars a match, match count. Now they used to, for a long time, they didn't have level two and level three nationals. And then at one time it was crazy. There was, maybe it's still almost the same, but I know they're making changes. The USTA. So there was four national tournaments that you can make that you could play. Now the people who lived in Florida said, we, we're not voting that way. People yeah. in California, people in Texas, oh, we don't need that. Hmm. But because those are stronger tennis sections. So, and this is really being sensationalistic. So say for example, uh, there's going to be a kid in Honolulu who's going to fly to Boston or vice versa, Boston to Honolulu because yeah. they wait and they wait until they get into one, they get into one of the tournaments. And as they wait, the airline ticket goes up 
and they're young kids, so they're going with mom or dad. And then they got to off the airplane, rent a car, go yeah. to a hotel, go to restaurants. And, you know, that's where the kids are not playing in their neighborhood. Yeah. And we, we've done a very poor job with uh, in tennis as far as just keeping people playing. So the U- UTR, <laughs> um, there's a lot of positives. It comes from the French system. It comes from, you know, and the nicest thing about the French system is people play and they play a bunch. And it's very easy to remember in the United States, uh, we have five times as many people, but in France, they have five times as many players. So, um, you know, but now the, the, the college coaches, they're thinking UTR. And sometimes I think they even go to the point where they don't want to talk to someone if they're not at least a 12. Yeah. Say a boy is a 12 or a girl is an 11. Um, but people really get stuck in the mud because of all five. The self-management, they don't know math mm-hmm. for that. They don't know math for strokes. They don't know math for strategy. They don't know math for stats. So let's wrap it up. What else we got on this? No, a few more, few more things. We've got the ATP and WTA, just one type of point. Yeah, I don't think there's an ATP forehand and a WTA forehand. That's something else. Oh, don't, don't bring that up because I, that, that, I hate that. <laughs> when it comes down, and I also do with all these classes on how to teach women, is that I think women should be upset by that. I think it should be just the opposite. For the longest time, women didn't get a chance in sport. Does the ball know it's being hit by a female or a male? But I like to tell kids, really, in the end, there's just one type of point. You know, pretty soon you're going to be through the juniors. And, you know, you know, Andrew Rube was a coach at Harvard. I think it was really, really cool. He played, he's going to play until he played at Wimbledon. I'm going to play till I get an ATP point. Mm. Uh, and I'm going to play like a pro. I'm going to have some fun. I, Jimmy Connors, I'm going to play the way I was taught to play. Yeah. So, um, you know, when, when it comes down to, um, in some countries, the way you're ranked is everybody in the country. You know, they have 20,000 men, 20,000 women, they're ranked. And you know, you're at the bottom of the ladder. But, you know, does it really make sense and Billie Jean King, for the longest time, wanted to have boys in the 12s, boys, boys and girls in the 12s, boys and girls in the 14s play each other. Mm-hmm. The UTR is supposed to be ageless and genderless. I, I wish the UTR, when it first came out, now they have a, a you can have a self, self there's a, the option to have a self-regulated right. UTR. Right. Now, granted, people would cheat, just like the handicap in golf. But the saddest thing about the UTR is people gaming on both sides is that, I mean, people have done this where... I know one story where a kid, he wasn't going to play high school tennis because it could bring his UTR down. He, the parents, the coach, they met, and the coach accepted it. If the kid changed it, if the coach, he didn't have a name like Smith. <laughs> if they, they put his name down, they misspelled his name. So it was UTR. It's like with- That's amazing. You know, if the six, we've had, we've had pools on players knowing hey, this kid's going to, this kid's going to pull out of the tournament. Yeah. If, if they, if he's lost six games, he's going <laughs> to pull out of the tournament. It's so, but also on the gaming side is running tournaments, you know, uh, with, um, there's so many tournaments. It's kind of like the wild, wild west. It's almost like anybody in their uh, brother can run a UTR tournament. Yeah. It should be, it should be more structured. I really think that in this country, that if the governing body, of tennis accepted the UTR. I mean, that gets us into another whole thing where young people coming out of college, if they, uh, they could make money playing tennis just part-time on the weekend and have tournaments where the money didn't go all to the tournament directors because, um, 
you know, you just have to look at how, how tennis is managed in other countries. We have to have more people stay in the game. Yeah. So with score, um, pro tennis, pro tennis will find you. You won't find pro tennis. Same thing with college tennis. Um, you know, kids have these dream schools. I would like to go here. I would like to go there. They will find you. You won't find them. Yeah. You know, you need to, that's, this is math as well. You got to do really well with your GPA and really well with your SAT. And, but, you know, you have to, imp- have to improve your UTR. Um, you know, if, if coaches get a chance to see someone play too, um, you know, you know, coaches may, uh, there's, there's teachers and there's coaches and hopefully there we have more people who can teach and coach. But if they can watch someone, they know that you can flat out compete. They know yeah. you're athletic. They, they can tell. It's kind of like at Kalamazoo. You know, a lot of international kids, they've never heard of Kalamazoo where we have our national championships. And the character matches are really the, the backdrop. You know, typically the kids are out mm-hmm. to the quarters. They're already signed, sealed, and delivered. A couple exactly. of them are already turning pro. Yeah. So um, with score, anything else on our list? No, I just think it, you know, kind of wrap things up it all comes down to winning is a byproduct of skills and the last line i have here written down is have your process be based on tennis math yeah when it comes down to how many hours and it's 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 quantity beats quality right you know the kid who maybe has a stage parent and they started when they're really young and they've hit lots of balls you know they had early start their parents or coaches um when it comes down to you want quantity and quality, you want to be in it for the long run. You love the process. The process will love you back. Yeah. And, you know, think of other sports. Um, Bill Belichick, it's so funny, you know, with Tom Brady is, you know, he's the way he just deadpans in the interview and it's like, he's going to be 43. <laughs> you know, you know, like how much longer can he play? Yeah. And like, well, you know, we're going to go with Tom, go with Tom and, and, you know, Tom Brady's going, it's going to be about football in the end. It's going to be a football decision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe Brady can have another great year and another great year, but I don't know if he's going to be doing it when he's 53. So um, it's just like charting matches. We didn't talk much about that, but let me just make a couple comments on that. There's about 50 points played in a set. Mm-hmm. You chart to put your brains down. You chart to find, to get objective data on what to practice. Exactly. And what we find is most players, by the time they've played competitive tennis, it used to be in the United States, you couldn't be ranked until you were 13, which was a good thing. All this saying tennis recruiting UTR, and kids yeah. starts playing matches when they're eight. And, and, and it's really, you know, one thing about that is that with a UTR, say if a kid wants to go out and experiment, he goes, the, the kid knows he can win the, win the match. Oh, he may win in three, but he's going to experiment. He's going to try to play one hand and backhand slice. He's going to come in. But now kids go out and they go, they don't want to play that way. They want, to, they want to try to win because they know how their UTR goes up if they can win without losing the six games and yeah. that type of thing. So with charting, the, um, it's not a matter of just charting matches. It's charting your day. Yeah. What do you do with your day? Yep. And, um, you know, you got to rest your body. But when it comes down to, um, I'll, I'll just end by coming back to the football coach I mentioned. What's your mile time, kid? How many push-ups can you do? And, you know, you do one push-up, you start to grow muscle. Um, but when it comes down to it, most kids, and again, it's not being doom and gloom. They just, they're just hitting tennis balls. I mean, they can't do push-ups. Yeah. And they've never been timed for the mile. Um, you know, we have kids come and they're ranked. I and mean, seriously, they'd be top 10 in their section. 
you know, and we, we put him through skills tests and it's like, well, not that good. <laughs> but, you know, we time him in the mile and it's going, really, you ran a 745 mile? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, that's one thing you can go back about, you know, like yesteryear. Oh, the players are so much better today. You know, Lendl talks about, you know, you look at the pole vault record. Yeah, the, the pole is not made out of bamboo anymore. Mm-hmm. So, and people are, they're eating better and they know more about fitness and what have you. But when it comes down to, um, you know, how, what is your mile time? And, you know, seven minutes and 45 seconds. So that's math. And is it anything that can be measured can be improved. And you don't want to sweep it under the carpet. We always tell people, okay, what we're going to do with you is we're going to go awareness, acceptance, and commitment. We're going to make, make you aware that you have no forehand. <laughs> we're going to make you aware that you are not fit and you have no lung capacity. Yeah. And, you know, are you going to accept that? And, you know, then are you going to be committed to it? You know, and Howard Schnellenberger, breakfast. The next time you have bacon and eggs, remember that the chicken was involved and the pig was, was committed. Put unless, your life into uh, it. unless you're vegan, like, like I am, <laughs> then you don't have to worry about that. With, uh, but I, we went fast. We made, but to just go through this tennis math, it's very important to uh, have a good handle on the five areas. Yeah. No, we just want to thank everyone out there listening. If you hung in there with us, we appreciate it. And hopefully you got a lot out of this episode on tennis math. Speaking of math, how long was this? About 137. Oh, boy. Sorry. <laughs> we're only, we're going to try to go 45 minutes. <laughs> maybe like, maybe like, we'll break it up into two parts. So if you're listening, this could be part two. It could be like a night class, those night classes we all had that were three But if hours, not, hey, it's a, it's a short movie. It's not like The Lord of the Rings or something. Come on, people. Yeah. Hang in there. Thanks for listening. All right. Hope well, it was helpful. Yeah, we'll see you next week. And like always, if you want to get more information on The Great Base, you can go to greatbasetennis.com. Find us on social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all those places, at Great Base Tennis. So until next time, adios. Adios, amigos. Adios, amigos. Thanks for listening.